Thanks for downloading the UCD Humanities Institute podcast. This podcast series features recordings of lectures, seminars and events hosted by or associated with the University College Dublin Humanities Institute. For more information, go to ucd.ie forward slash humanities. This episode features a lecture given at the Memory, Space and New Technology Symposium, which took place on the 12th of June 2015 at the Dunleary Institute of Art, Design and Technology. The symposium was supported by the Spatial Arts and Visualisation Project, a collaboration between University College Dublin, the National College of Art and Design and the Institute of Art, Design and Technology, and financially supported by the Higher Education Authority. Podcasting was by Real Smart Media. This lecture, one of three recorded at the symposium, was entitled Anu Productions Monto Cycle, Performative Encounters and Acts of Memory. The lecture was given by Professor Brian Singleton of Trinity College Dublin. It was introduced by Dr Maria Parsons from the Dunleary Institute of Art, Design and Technology. Brian is Samuel Beckett Professor of Drama and Theatre, uh, where he's the Head of School Drama, Film and Music, and he's direct, um, Academic Director of the Lear, the National Academy of Dramatic Art. He's also former President of the International Federation for Theatre Research and former Editor of Theatre Research International. Um, he's currently co-editing a, a new series for Palgrave with Elaine Aston entitled Contemporary Performance Interactions, and he's published widely on Irish theatre, though most of his, publication, uh, his publications focus on Orientalism and interculturalism in performance, particularly in relation to issues of gender and race. And his most recent monograph on Irish theatre, Masculinities and Contemporary Irish Theatre, has been revised and updated for its paperback edition. Uh, Brian is going to speak about um, the Monto Cycle and Annual Productions. Um, led by co-directors Louise Lowe and uh, Owen Boss, Annual Productions' multi-award winning uh, Monto Cycle of four performances between 2010 and 2014, and indeed much of their work before, during and after that period, is characterised by an interrogation of both space and time, but also um, characterised by invoking in spectators moments of agency and subsequent invocations to remember. All four performances in the cycle took place in a quarter-square-mile district of Dublin's north inner city, known colloquially as the Monto, made popular in song by the Dubliners, um, but reflective of the history of Montgomery Street, now Foley Street, on the, on the area's southern border that was in the early 20th century the red-light district of Dublin. The four parts of the cycle reflected the changing fortunes of the area, told through multiple micro-histories, in sites that stand testimony to the economic impact and social changes that have visited the area in that time. The cycle began with World's End Lane, a representation of the area as an early 20th century locational site for the sex trade, in which spectators as individuals encountered the world as a punter, as a tourist, and also as a complicit worker in the trade. In 2011, and I'll be talking about this one in particular later, Laundry brought us to the aftermath of the Moral Crusades in the form of the so-called Magdalen Laundries. And then next, The Boys of Foley Street, 2012, brought us into the world of the heroin blight that decimated the area's youth in the 1980s. And then finally, in 2014, Vardo reflected the contemporary and virtually invisible international sex trade and people trafficking uh, where the motto comes full circle. Have I seen you before? asks Breffney in an elevator uh, on the way up to her brothel in the final part of the motorcycle Vardo. Should I say yes? She's a former student of mine. 
how should we respond? The question she invoked in Spectators points to the destabilizing effect of visualization in the act of memory. Breffney was in front of us, and we wanted to say yes as good citizens, as by her questioning she was situating us in her memory, implicating us in her world, and by extension in the exploitation of women. This direct interpolation of individual spectators is characteristic of the performative encounters throughout the cycle, in whose worlds we were to some extent implicated and played a role. In all performances, we were asked at some point if we remember, or asked actively to remember, and at others to help. Would we help? Leaving the performances, we took with us memories of those encounters as private performative memories, either physical or verbal, as both indexes to actual memories and invocations to remember more broadly in the public sphere. In Anu's 2011 performance, we were given a memento. At the end of Laundry, uh, the taxi driver who ferried us from the performed past of the former Gloucester Street Laundry to the present operations of a laundrette in which we were literally put to work, mm-hmm. gave us a bar of carbolic soap wrapped up and with our names inscribed on it. This memento offered us both an object and a smell as gestures to remember, or at least not to forget. The inscription of our names personalised the experience of the performance in the form of its memento, invoking in us a will to remember in counterpoint to state narratives up to that point that had erased the microhistories of the women in the laundries. And though we might not have had direct experience of the laundries or even memories of them, the performance offered us the opportunity in the present to engage in an act of remembering with images of Ireland's troubled social past. Now, personally, I've spent a good deal of time over the past five years trying to articulate for academic audiences the power and meaning of Anu's work, because when I first encountered the Monto plays, I couldn't stop talking about them and telling everyone about my experiences, but more importantly, my feelings. And those feelings were complex, affecting, troubling in equal measure. As an individual spectator, for the most part in all the performances, had I done the right thing? Was there a right thing to do when engaging with history? And what would I have done, not in the performances, but in the real circumstances that the performances were reflecting and remembering? And it is the affecting nature of the performances that I want to interrogate here and how that affect speaks to notions of time, space and memory. First of all, we encountered the performances in real sites and in intimate circumstances, often on our own. We had no one else at times as reference. We struggled to know how to react, wrestling between the performance of a past and its situation in the present all around us. We were awoken out of our passive spectatorial slumber and awakened into agency in these performative encounters, or at least an awareness that agency is required in the present, depicting scenes from the past. Would you have helped a woman escape from the Gloucester Street laundry? And if you did, how would you feel if you learned that after you'd helped her escape, she went back in later that night voluntarily? Would you inform on a young drug drug pusher in the boys of Foley Street, knowing that he might end up kneecapped or dead? And what would you say to his mother when um, she realised that you were responsible for her son being killed? 
In that sense of intimacy, often between lone spectator and performer, with direct address and a performative encounter, that a news work is, is, is highly political. But it is not polemical. There is no melodrama. Characters are no binarizing. Characters we encounter might be criminals involved in robbery or the drug trade, but we encounter them in moments of personal engagement as individuals without labels. Virtually all of the people we meet in Anu's work are not remembered. They are erased from history. Traces of some of them exist in local histories and a radio documentary, but by and large there are, there are only traces of them in memory. And Anu reconstitutes those traces for us to encounter not for us to pass judgment on them, but to perhaps question our own complicity in the erasure of memory in the Irish state's shameful secrets. Anu Productions configures for 21st century audiences Pierre Nora's notion of lieu de mémoire, or sites of memory, in the absence of what he calls real events of memory. The acceleration of history, he writes, confronts us with the brutal realisation of the difference between real memory, social and unviolated, exemplified in, but also retained as the secret of the so-called primitive or archaic societies, and history, which is how our hopelessly forgetful modern societies, propelled by change, organise the past, end quote. And to that I would add, in this particular case, the deliberately forgetful Irish society, seeking to erase one element of a once-glorified national past. There's never been any collective memory of the Magdalen laundries, for instance, though the Justice for Magdalens are attempting to archive as best they can. All were fortresses in appearance and operated by sanction of the state, but in a state of exception. Individual memories of the survivors, though now being collated and marshalled into action by advocacy groups calling for a public act of contrition by the state, as well as reparations to the survivors, also directly challenge the act of forgetting. Further, the political power of Anu Productions' performative acts stand as a direct challenge to the nation's desire to remember the past through an act of forgetting, through the creation of these environments of memory shaking us out of what uh, sociologist Maurice Halbwax might have described as a state of aphasia, mm-hmm. and resituating memory in a wakened state of consciousness. The individual nature of the experience of laundry provided through repeated interactions with the performed memory the possibility of a collective memory, such as society's performative rituals, recollecting the past in commemorative cer- ceremonies. And further, Laundry challenges the forgetting of a society through what Paul Connaughton has termed a performative inscribing practice. In his thesis on the philosophy of history, Walter Benjamin further asserts, quote, the past can be seized only as an image which flashes up at the instant when it can be recognized and is never seen again. For every image of the past that is not recognized by the present as one of its own concerns threatens to disappear irretrievably, end quote. But a news immersive performances offer something more. Their creation of artistic lieu de memoir challenged the organization of the past as propounded by the history of the nation to seek to reinscribe the narrative of the future, or what Anu called in the final part of the cycle, Vardo, the business of hope, with the polemic of uh, so um, reinscribing it with the polemic of memory, which for most spectators is not actual memory but a prosthetic one. I deliberately use the term prosthetic as opposed to post-memory, 
post-memory and memory studies, in particular Holocaust memory studies, is a second-generation memory that features what Marianne Hirsch describes as a transgenerational return of traumatic knowledge. Alison Landsberg, however, proffers the concept of prosthetic memory as being a new form of cultural memory that takes place for the spectator at an experiential site, in a museum, for instance, or in this particular case, with laundry, in a real site of memory, temporarily transformed into a site of performance. At the point of contact in the, in, in the site with a history, Landsberg writes, quote, the person does not simply apprehend a historical narrative, but takes on a more personal, deeply felt memory of a past event through which he or she did not live. The resulting prosthetic memory has the ability to shape that person's subjectivity and politics, end quote. That memory, of course, is predicated on the empathy of the spectator, and an empathy that is rooted in the recognition of the alterity of the represented and in negotiating the relational distance between the spectator and the represented. Essential to this practice of assuming prosthetic memories is, according to Landsberg, finding ways to inhabit other people's memories as other people's memories, and thereby respecting and recognising difference. That relational distance will um, be the focus of my analysis, as the performance of Laundry actively constructed experiential practices for spectators as self-conscious ways of memory. The ways of memory for the spectator have manifold technologies in relation to laundry. From the encounter of images gesturing to memory, to actively memorising, to proactively contributing to memory, and finally passively receiving a memento of memory. But at no time did the production even suggest a desire to memorialise. The relational distance between the spectator and the represented was determined by the spectator's sense of agency, And the greater that sense of agency, the greater the sense of memory being rooted in an active present rather than in a passive past. That, for me, is the purpose of the dialectic in Andrew's work uh, of what they call the now-then-now, a dialectic predicated on a notion of a part... I've just realised I haven't been going forward, so apologies about this. Okay. Oh, no, that's that's the next one. Now-then-now. Perfect. Right, right. A dialectic predicated on the notion of a past being experienced in a performed present, troubling the binaries of bad and good and then and now. In Laundry, for instance, I had anticipated the past to be the site of violent memories, when in fact it was the violence of the present that acted as guardian of the entrance to the past. Before entering the Laundry, spectators in groups of three were confronted in anterooms with violence. In one small room, a man prevented a young woman in a physical uh, score. In another, um, prevented her from escaping in a physical score. In another, a young man's violent outburst pointed to the wall of secrecy surrounding the women who were incarcerated within. This violent present enabled a kind of technology of memory to show how memory is a present encounter with an enactment of the past. It's the first step in the journey toward the making of meaning in the sense that the memory of the past is not something that attaches itself to the spectator, but that the spectator attaches him or herself to the memory. In this early encounter, then, the memory is not a prosthesis, but the spectator is made to feel like she or he is. This technique of encounter has, according to Landsberg, the purpose of alteration of perception. So moving away from the present and further inside the laundry, the individual spectators were taken into an inner hallway by one of the women to be greeted by yet another. 
And I saw, I, I, this is the first time I've, um, since I started write, uh, writing um, about Anu, um, that uh, I've used the first person. Normally I teach my students to remove the first person. Uh, it's quite common in sociology, I know that, um, but we're in ethnographic studies, but I, in terms of positionality, um, I had to use the first person on all of this stuff because it was my feeling. I, had, I cannot speak for anyone else. Um, so I saw other women coming and going, carrying buckets of milky white water, mm-hmm. what looked like milky white water. One was standing beside a freestanding uh, filing cabinet. One of the doors was open and filled with bars of soap clearly a reference to the labour of the laundry. This woman began to recite a list of names of the women who had been incarcerated um, therein. It was a long list, and she asked me to remember four names, uh, all with the same surname. Alison Brady, Bridget Brady, Cecilia Ann Brady, and Mary Brady. And I focused intently on remembering those four names. Now that I'd been made to divest myself of the present in material terms and made conscious of my presence within memory... I was being introduced to one of the primary functional tools of memory, memorization. In some ways, this experience of naming and remembering memorization had a certain religiosity, which predates print culture. It also personalizes and actualizes the representation of the past. Asking me to memorize names was a political challenge, as no one else, not least in official circles, where records of the incarcerated are either not complete or indeed not extant, dared or cared to remember. Memorizing them was something more active than remembering them, as I had no memory of them. But I memorized their names for posterity. Alison Brady, Bridget Brady, Cecilia Ann Brady, Mary Brady. Memorizing was not memorializing. Memorizing in this context was invoking a desire and a need to remember um, in this particular cultural and performative context, which contested their names erasure in the public sphere. I was speaking their names in the public sphere. I was also afraid of forgetting and fearful of the consequences of not remembering within the performative context. In many ways, Anu's work reflects Pierre Nora's notion of memory as a bond to the eternal present. What is more, laundry invokes memories that are in part symbolic as a response to the rejection by historical projection. Anu's memorial encounters are rooted, like Nora's, in spaces, gestures, images, and objects. And further, the invitation to assist in memory by helping a woman out of a bath or holding a woman's hand in the church for comfort, as well as memorizing four names of real women who were incarcerated there, unhinges any temporal continuities that history would map onto this site or indeed this performance. The present spectator was not immersed in a historicized or represented past, but co-present in spaces gesturing to memory as a private phenomenon with figures of pastness as the embodied remains of a memorial consciousness. Laundry, as a performative memory, to cite Nora, quote, relies on the materiality of the trace, the immediacy of the recording, the visibility of the image, end quote. Anu took this further by embedding the spectator as an individual without the temporal markers of other spectators within the performance And so, immersed, the spectator, rather than encounter memory, took root physically within memory itself. This embeddedness allowed for an awakening into memory of a site of conscious amnesia. But those reawakenings were momentary, transient, leaving the material site to return to slumber slumber in its very forgetful materiality. 
For those immersed in laundry, a new form of memory could be deemed symbolic. But given the immersive encounter witnesses to laundry experienced, that spectator could also have encountered what Alison Landsberg uh, calls prosthetic memory. As a prosthesis, laundry may have been for the spectator a memory which attached itself to a site. But this site of a real Magdalene laundry, though now disused, was not that of an archaeological site or a museum exhibit that urged remembering through scientific preservation, temporal distance. It was not invoking what Svetlana Boym terms restorative nostalgia either, given the site's memories have been for so long antithetical to the states, but more reflective in its approach to temporalizing space. Anu's production clearly marked the present as, the, as not then and the past as now. We as spectators in the early encounters saw the folding of the present into the past, the now then now, but quickly as we pro- progressed through the rooms, encountering images and stories of the women who once inhabited the site, the invocation of our agency as contemporary spectators and the liveness of the memories was tangible. Unlike the emphasis on historicization of other media's representation of the state's shameful secrets, laundry summoned in, the, summoned in the spectator through immersive, co-present performative encounters a will to remember. Thank you. <laughs>